Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Aaron Davis. Aaron is on the show today talking about how a little meal goes a long way based on my devotional, A Little Goes a Long Way, 52 Days to a Significant Life. Aaron is the author and Bible study teacher of Seven Feasts and Fasting and Feasting. And she is on the show today because she's discovered that God's Word celebrates food as a gift while simultaneously inviting us to surrender every area of our lives, including what we put on our plates. Rather than the yo-yo of loving food versus hating it, Aaron invites you to accept Scripture's invitation into a different, nourishing, and refreshing rhythm. In today's episode, you'll learn just how satisfying it is to join us in the biblical rhythms of fasting and feasting. Join us as we chat about how a little meal goes a long way. Well, hello, Aaron, and welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you. So today's conversation is going to center on food, which for those people that know me, it's like my love language, I think. Oh, me too. (laughs) So I'm totally a foodie and, but I also have like a very complicated relationship with it. It's also kind of my Achilles heel. So Uh I'm just so excited to hear your perspective today. Well, I think you just described womanhood in one sentence. Like we we all love food (laughs) and we all have a complicated relationship with it. So yeah, me too. Well, so more than our love-hate relationship with food that we have in common, we are both even more passionate about the Lord and His Word. So I'd love to hear more about how your journey has begun as a writer and a teacher of God's Word. Oh, that's a fun story that I haven't told in a long time. So thanks for asking. I came to Christ kind of late in my teenage years. So I was playing catch up there for a little bit, um, but immediately God gave me this appetite for His Word. It was like it was Greek before, who actually was Greek, so that's kind of funny, but it was like a foreign <laughs> language before, and then I came to Christ and was hungry for it, but uh, I kind of was driving without a license. I just, I wanted it, I wanted to read it, but I'm not sure I was shored up by good understanding of hermeneutics and all that stuff, but I happened to marry an adorable youth pastor, um, and he was getting his arms around student ministry, and was really great at discipling the guys, but then had half of his youth group that needed somebody to disciple them. And I stepped in and I had a sense very early on that if I would give girls deep thinking about scripture, which this has to be attributed to Jesus, because I I didn't even know why I thought this, but if I put them in the deep end of the pool, so to speak, when it came to understanding God's word, that they would, they would paddle, they would find their way. But if I continued to just give shallow teaching, um, that their appetite for scripture would eventually fade. So, um, I started writing Bible studies for a group of about 12 girls that met in my living room every week. And, um, man, the Lord just turned up the heat on my passion for ministry, for teaching, for his word through that exercise. And it's snowballed from there. I, I still, you know, I have a group of women coming to my house tonight for Bible study. That's still my absolute favorite sphere to teach the Bible in and to study for and to write to. Um, but the Lord's been gracious in expanding beyond that. So all glory to him. He took a girl with no understanding of scripture and made me hungry and then let me teach it. So I'm so grateful. I love how you're saying like hungry for his word and the appetite for it. And, um, so that's speaking my language (laughs) for sure. And so today I'm correlating our conversation with the devotion about how a little meal can go a long way based Mm. on my devotional, a little goes a long way. 
So all throughout the Bible, God has focused on food from Adam and Eve's first apple in the garden to the marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation. And you've actually written a Bible study on the seven feasts. Uh, So what was the main takeaway that you gleaned from these celebrations that you studied? Okay, if some woman's listening and she goes, I don't even know where the seven feasts are. That's yes, okay. We'll I there. didn't either until I started to study them. <laughs> yeah. They're in Leviticus 23. And really that came about out of me trying to get the women in my church to love the Old Testament. I thought if I can get them to love Leviticus, I can get them to love the Old Testament. But then I'm the one that fell in love. This single chapter in the Old Testament outlines these feasts. They really were the calendar for God's people after they had come out of Egypt. They had to learn how to do everything. They'd only been slaves. Everything had been told to them. And now they had to figure out what's life like uh, as free people. And so he gave them these seven feasts. And the big takeaway for me is just that food and celebration and family and gathering, that's all God's idea. I mean, that was his plan for them that they would very regularly come together. And if you read Leviticus 23, there's a food element in all of them. There's a gathering element in all of them. There's a celebration element in a lot of them. So I think sometimes we think, oh, we got to, we got to make our holidays Christian, or we got to invite Jesus into our holidays. And for me, the flip was like, Hey guys, it was all his idea. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are filled with joy and gathering with people you love, that's his plan. Um, And he wants that for you. He wants your calendar to have those moments in it. Deeper than that, the whole seven feasts outline the gospel story. So it's pretty remarkable if you were to lay the story of uh, the redemption story from the gospels on top of the seven feasts, you'd see that God's plan was always redemption. And he was teaching his people way back in the desert, the story of redemption. They didn't know it, but they were foretelling Christ's coming. So it is both kind of, I guess you could say shallow. It's not though. It's both kind of like, oh, there's this basic thought that God wants us to eat and celebrate But then there's the deeper meaning, which isn't scripture always that way. There's layers and layers and layers that God has for us. Wow. I I love that. And it makes me want to dive deeper into Leviticus, which I don't know that I've ever said before. So So your tagline of that study mentions finding Jesus in these sacred celebrations in the Old Testament. But Mm -hmm. I'm also fascinated by how often Jesus shared a meal in the New Testament, So what do you think that we can learn from the way that Jesus valued food and meals? Oh, great question. Yeah, I think we can sometimes hyper-spiritualize Jesus, which, I mean, I understand he is God of all creation, the savior of the world. There is certainly, he's our model for spiritual things, but he was also fully man and he could have set aside his own need for food but he didn't. Um, He could have maybe done something that we think is more spiritual and more important, like spending mealtimes in prayer. He didn't, although he prayed. Um, He regularly ate with his disciples. He regularly ate with sinners. Bible doesn't tell us, but he grew up in a family. So I imagine he had plenty of mundane mornings of whatever the equivalent to cereal was in his day at the breakfast table (laughs) with his parents and his brothers and his sisters. So again, I think anything that Jesus did, we should model. From, from, you know, the loving our neighbor, forgiving our enemy, he did that, but also just regular rhythms for daily life. Jesus had those. And one I often hear us fascinated by is that he would regularly pull away from the people to be with the father. That's great. That's an important rhythm. Sabbath is an important rhythm. But the one we gloss over is the rhythm of he ate with people a lot. And if you were just to extract some of those conversations Jesus had in the New Testament, 
that were meaningful, food was almost always involved. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. Think about when the disciples gathered in the upper room. Think about when Mary washed his feet with her hair. Food was always involved. So I think um, just we can just learn that Jesus ate too and that that's not like a secondary part of our life or something we need to put on the shelf when we become Christians or something we even need to rush through. Um, Jesus enjoyed food. We can enjoy food. Maybe it's just that simple. So your latest book um, also relates to food and it is titled Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. So I'd love to hear the inspiration behind this book. And um, I'm just assuming, I guess, that you've kind of had this like complicated relationship with food too. Mm. I mean, because it seems like a, a, a reoccurring theme in, in your writing. It's a reoccurring theme. Yeah, I didn't really even realize I'd written two back-to-back books on food until somebody pointed out to me. I was like, oh yeah, I have spent like the past two years of my life writing and thinking <laughs> and studying about food. And I would say, I mean, the seven feasts really... Uh, whetted my appetite for wanting to understand what the Bible really says about food. I looked at that chapter in Leviticus 23 and I thought, oh man, there's so much here. I've, I've so misunderstood holidays and gathering all my life. What else does the Bible say about food? And uh, I, fasting has become a discipline that's really important to my walk with Christ. Never is it commanded for us as, as New Testament followers of Jesus. It was part of those feasts. There are other times in the Old Testament where it was kind of commanded for the Israelites. For us, it's optional, um, but it's an important discipline. And so as I started to really incorporate fasting into my own life, I started to want to invite other women to fast. I just have this thought that can't I can't quite let go of, which is what might happen if the women of the church started to fast and pray? Because what we see in scripture is when God's people fast, things change. It's not because we twist God's arm. We don't. He's always sovereign. He's always in control. But there's some connection because all throughout scripture, when God's people fast, things happen. But I didn't, as I started to look in scripture, I thought, you know what? God doesn't just call us to a life of fasting. It's not just give your life to the Lord and then take, never eat again or total self-denial, although it is a life of self-denial. But then he also calls us to feasting, to celebration, to joy. It's both. Isn't so much of the Christian life that way. It's both and it's not either or. And so the Bible really gives this holistic view of food that I had never before in my life encountered or been able to embrace. And I got to say, you know, I don't want to like be your diet coach. I'm not your nutritionist, but through scripture, I have developed a really healthy relationship with food in my forties. I just never thought it was going to be possible. I thought I was going to have a complicated relationship with food my whole life. And I just don't anymore. Um, That's because I think scripture gives us kind of these two relationships to food that we balance while we abide and walk by the spirit. So it's been really a really freeing journey for me. I'm just wondering, and and maybe I'm wrong, but fasting, if if somebody's not familiar with fasting, will you just give us like a a little working definition? (laughs) Yeah, happy to. Uh, I almost always get this pushback. Like I can't medically fast to which I say, Okay, that's great. Remember I said it's not a mandate. But fasting is, the way I think of it is denying myself food to ramp up my hunger for God. So when I'm fasting and my belly rumbles, I'll say, God, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness like I'm physically hungering right now. 
biblically, it is always food. I've heard people say, well, you can fast from other things. You can fast from social media. You can fast from television. You can fast from, that's true. Um, that's not the version of fasting that scripture gives us. Scripture gives us in many different circumstances, looking many different ways, food. And I think that's because it's such a basic need. It's such a daily need um, that when we lay that down, um, it just turns up the volume. On, it can turn up the volume on God's voice in our lives. Again, it's not, nothing magic. It doesn't give you your prayers more power. Um, I think it just exposes our need. We need God every day. You know, we need him to fill our bellies every day. And when we're aware of that, then I think we can cry out to him. Now, scripture never gives us a formula. Some Jesus fasted for 40 days. Um, some people fasted for less than that, more than that. Moses fasted. Many of the prophets fasted. The disciples fasted. It was for varying types, times and looks different for each of them. It's not, again, it's not formulaic, but it's that idea of I am going to deny myself food. Um, and just express my need for God in a new way. There's lots of reasons in scripture to do it. Grief, repentance, celebration, um, a whole list, but it's yeah. just a way to turn our hearts toward Jesus in a different way. Yeah. To be dependent on him. And so right. I'd love to hear some, maybe some common misconceptions about fasting and feasting. Are there some common ones you discovered? Oh man, there's so many. I think the biggest one about fasting is there is a passage in the new Testament where Jesus was talking and he said, when you fast, which I think the when is important, it implies that he, there's an expectation, but he says, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees and make a big deal about it and make yourself look sick and let everyone know you're fasting. Instead, go in your room, close the door. It's between you and the father. Well, I think we've misinterpreted that for a lot of years to mean we can never talk about fasting or we're not doing it right. And if we're not talking about fasting, we're not hearing about fasting from our spiritual leaders, from our Bible study teachers, then it makes us feel like, is this even something that I should be doing? Is this an Old Testament thing? Is this not for us? So the first thing I would say is we can talk about fasting. Jesus is always concerned about the heart, right? So he was con his point there was, listen, don't make the fast about you. Um, it's about me. Don't use it to draw attention to yourself. Use it to draw attention to me. So first thing I would say is I'm glad we're having this conversation because let's talk about fasting. <laughs> the other one I hear a lot is, uh, I just can't fast because it makes me feel hangry or it gives me a headache. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's the idea. I mean, you shouldn't have the thought that you're just going to feel great. Um, no, you're, there's denial involved and that's part of it. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong or that you shouldn't be doing it. Feasting is the same. I think Man, you've mentioned a complicated relationship with food. Uh, that's pushed on us everywhere all day long. Yeah. Um, ev there's so much marketing directed at our appetites. And so we can feel like any indulgence, um, any enjoyment of food is wrong. And, and I ha have had so many conversations with women that have felt like their relationship with food is their greatest sin area. I mean, does God call us to self-control? Absolutely. And it could be that you have made an idol out of food, but what we see in scripture is God calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, when he tells us what's in store for us in the future, you mentioned that it's a wedding supper. I think we're going to eat in heaven. That feels pretty clear to me in Revelation. So it's not food bad, uh, <laughs> food good. And then we invite God into that, right? 
Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> so, so what are some practical ways that we can invite God into our table? Mm. Well, I have a house full of boys, so uh, one husband and four sons, 14 and under. And so my table is loud. It's rowdy. But just that discipline of even coming to the table regularly, I think, keeps us grounded in who we really are. Um, We, of course, pray before every meal. That's just we can take that for granted. But that's a discipline I learned from my grandparents. They taught it to my parents. I'm teaching it to my boys. When we have, uh, you know, we live in a unique era when it comes to food. Our refrigerators are full, our deep freezes are full, our pantries are full, and when they're empty, we call Instacart and it gets delivered, right? So we lose a little bit of awareness that God provided every bite we'll ever eat. You know, that we are dependent on him to keep us alive through the food he provides. So just that simple discipline, don't underestimate that, of coming together at your table and thanking God for the food that he's given you. Um, we, we do high, low at our table every day. What's your high? What's your low? How can you give God glory? It's a really simple discipline. And just, I think also inviting people to your table. We've lost that a little bit as a culture. COVID did strange things to Mm -hmm. our relationships. And one of them is this just gathering together with regularity after church. And, um, I'm a type A, I say I'm type double A. So I really like things to be really spectacular. If I'm going to have somebody over, but I've had to make peace with the beauty of ham sandwiches after church. Mm-hmm. Um, the gift of s'mores at the campfire with people that we're trying to get to know. So I just think Jesus modeled that also. I mean, really mealtime was part of his evangelism strategy. It's why he was having dinner with sinners was so that he could talk about that to them about the condition of their hearts. So just a really practical thing. Who can you, who can you invite to have a meal with you uh, in the coming days? There's something about meals that's disarming Mm. and um, it really is an evangelism tool. So bring people to your table, get over the need for it to be fancy. It can be pizza. It really can. Um, And just share the love of Christ from your dining room. It's a special spot in your home. Yeah, it really is. We actually have a friend that every Sunday night he cooks and he cooks for (laughs) He cooks so much food. He's like, I never know who's going to show up, but everybody knows I always cook on Sunday night. So come on, Mm -hmm. the door's open. And I thought I'd love to get to that place um, where the door, people know the door's always open and, and thank goodness that there is maybe always food, you know, um, available to you. And so um, I'd love to hear just, this is kind of the concluding question I'm asking um, during this series. So how have you seen a little meal go a long way in your own life? Mm. Yeah, I can think of an example from last night. My family's walking through something really hard right now. I get a lump in my throat, but, um, and one of my friends who goes to my church, she just texted me yesterday and said, I'm bringing dinner at five. And I, I've learned in seasons of hard to open my hands and whatever anybody wants to put in them, I'll take it. And so she showed up at five. My house wasn't clean. You're noticing a theme there. Um, I had some extra family in the mix. My school starts soon. My boys were bouncing off the wall. There, there, it was, it was not picture perfect, but here she comes. And what she brought us was a pan of spaghetti and a box of ice cream sandwiches. So she hadn't spent hours cooking. Um, it wasn't perfect. She didn't even bring garlic bread. We didn't need garlic bread. She brought us a pan of spaghetti and a box of ice cream sandwiches. And I cannot tell you the ministry that was to us 
to just know that we didn't have to worry about cooking dinner. We didn't have to worry about cleaning up dinner and that somebody loves us, was thinking about us, was praying for us. And that's happened so many times in my life. And hopefully I've been, uh, I've reciprocated that many times in my life. When somebody is hurting, man, there's a real ministry of food. Mm. We see that modeled by Jesus. The story that comes to mind is after his death, burial, resurrection, when I imagine his disciples were just like trauma bombs, right? They had just gone through so much. He finds them on the shore and he cooks them breakfast. And um, there was ministry there. There was like balm for your soul, for your heart in this warm food. And so I think those little meals when someone's hurting or grieving or suffering in some way, I think they go miles and miles and miles towards helping that person endure. And I think that's one of the callings for us as the saints to each other um, is to feed each other when we can't feed ourselves for whatever reason. It sure did go a long way for me yesterday. Yeah, it, it just reminds me, God is concerned about like our physical health, but like how that's so connected, inter, you know, interconnected with our emotional and our spiritual health as well, isn't it? Yeah. So this is just, I don't know, just a fun question, Erin, but do you have like a favorite feast or meal? I'd love to for you to share like one of your oh, favorite recipes. Man. Well, I'm a foodie too. I'm glad you called yourself that. And I love the kitchen and I'm always in the kitchen. It's my favorite place to be in my home. But I, I say this with all humility. I make the best chocolate chip cookies in the whole wide world. Oh. Uh, I spent three years perfecting the recipe. I mean, I'd try this kind of flour and that kind of flour and this kind of chocolate chip and that kind of chocolate chip. So I have my chocolate chip cookie recipe. I have it right here. It's like what I would grab in a fire. You can tell I've used it. All right. Do, do you share, do you share this Aaron or is it like a secret? Oh no, I'll share it. Um, it Cause we're going to put it in the show notes. Yeah. I'll send it to you. You put it in the show notes. Everybody can use it, but here's the tips. You got to know your butter has to be room temperature. It has to, it has to, it has to don't shortcut that step. Your eggs have to be room temperature mm. and you have to whip your eggs and your sugars for like, not your eggs, your butters and your sugars for like 10 minutes. Ooh. Way longer than you think you should. Okay. It needs to get white and fluffy. So think you think it's ready. No, whip it longer and they'll turn out amazing. And then don't whip the the flour and stuff as long, no, right? right? Is that? Fold it in with a wooden spoon. Okay. Yes. And I only put them in for nine minutes. I'm telling you, I have this like exact nine minutes. So the edges will just start to turn brown. You'll think they're raw, but then I let them cook a little longer on the cookie sheet. They're mm -hmm. so good. I'm going to have to make some after this phone call because now I'm thinking about them. Well, thank you for investing the time so that we don't have to, there you <laughs> to go. make that recipe. <laughs> so, okay, Erin, I know I want to stay in touch with you and in contact with you. So tell us all how we can best do that. Oh, I'd love to hear from any of you. So I have a teaching podcast called The Deep Well. So if you're a podcast listener, which I hope you are, uh, that's the podcast to hear me teach on. That's also uh, my Instagram handle, The Deep Well with Aaron Davis. And I have a website, which I neglect terribly, AaronDavis.org. Uh, it's probably not the best place to find me because I hardly ever populate that thing. So find me on Instagram. <laughs> Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being my guest. I feel fed um, emotionally and spiritually from you today. And um, I just, I just appreciate you helping us to realize the importance of feasting and, and mm. fasting. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me.
Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Aaron Davis. We hope that today helped you to understand biblical fasting and feasting and to believe that a little meal goes a long way. This week, your little task is to identify your favorite meal. Invite someone to share it with you. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive your weekly love offering newsletter. And all of this information can go straight to your inbox each week. You can also listen to previous podcast episodes. You can read the blog series. You can download the conversation guide, guide a journal, list tracker, and my recipes from the devotional, especially during this uh, holiday season. I think you'll really want to grab a copy of those. You can also buy your Christmas gifts over on the Christmas shop. Everything right now is 25% off all of the significant merchandise. Again, you can find that all at rachelkadams.com. Next week, my guest is Trudy Lineski. Trudy is on the show talking about how a little walk goes a long way. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.